You're listening to And hey, welcome back to another episode of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here today with another author interview. Um, this time we're chatting with Meredith Ireland, the author of The Jasmine Project, a YA um, rom-com. Would you say it's a rom-com? I would say it's half rom-com and half coming, not half. Okay. It's all coming would, of age, yeah, half rom-com. It's, it's half rom-com, full coming of age. And half reality TV. Reality spoof. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Jasmine Project is a story about a Korean-American adoptee who has a huge mixed Filipino-Italian family who loves her so much that they set up a fake reality TV competition without her knowledge um, when she breaks up with her shitty boyfriend. Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if my family would ever do that to me. And if they did, I don't know if I will ever forgive them. (laughs) (laughs) My family would set up blind dates for me i mean yeah blind dates for sure but, but like not like a whole elaborate scheme not like bachelor number one yeah. bachelor number two that's just too much effort for my family <laughs> really <laughs> uh but we had a good conversation with meredith we talked about uh her journey to publication how she uh came up with the concept of a bachelorette spoof um and her development of jasmine So I really hope that you guys enjoy the interview and pick up the book when it comes out. Yeah, uh, let's get to it. Here is our interview with Meredith. We're here with Meredith Ireland, the author of The Jasmine Project. Uh, Thank you, Meredith, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you about this book. Um, It was pitched as My Big Fat Greek Wedding meets The Bachelorette. And it is just like the moment I heard that, I was like, this book sounds so fun. I'm like, I I was so stoked when we announced the book deal back in 2019 or was it 2020? I don't know. Publishing is uh, very weird. It's kind of being in a time capsule. We also lost the year. So, you know. It's easy. That's to get, true. Uh, yes. Confused. Yes, it was 2019. You're right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Uh, if I'm correct, this is your uh, debut, right? Yes, it is. Um. So, when did you start uh, writing in general? I know that your father is a New York librarian, so you were brought into the literary world very early. Yes. Yes. He. He was. Uh, he actually passed away when I was very young. Um, but Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's okay. Um, it's nice to be able to say that in my bio and kind of recognize him, even though he did depart from us way too soon. Um, but I started writing, um, I guess I always have, you know, I did diaries, journals, um, but I took it more seriously as, as becoming uh, more of a craft 
probably when I had um, my son and it was like keep my brain from turning into mush while watching the bubble guppies for the 800th time. And uh, so that was around 2015. Uh, so um, this, this was a very long process for you. Uh, 2015 was, you know, like six years ago. Um, yeah. Was your first book the uh, Jasmine Project or were you working on a different manuscript at the time? Oh, no, no, no. I had like a pretty fantastic Hunger Games ripoff set underwater, <laughs> um, complete with like, yeah, mermaids that weren't really mermaids. So that never saw the light of day. Um and then I had um, kind of a fairy tale retelling. All of these were pretty awful. Um, yeah, like just in every single way. Um, and then I wrote um, Scattered, which was um, a road trip to scatter um, ashes of um, her brother. And that was um, to deal with... Um, my stepfather having passed. Um, and that's actually the book that um, I wound up signing with my agent with. But um, we just could never get it quite right. Like it's kind of adult, kind of YA, kind of women's fiction, kind of not. Um, so it wound up kind of in a great in-between space. And then there was the Jasmine Project. So it sounds like your writing history skews a lot towards YA style of, of fiction. Was that always something that you were, you were drawn to? So no, funny enough, um, I always kind of thought that I wrote adult, <laughs> and <laughs> um, but I loved reading YA. So um, I still love adult books. I think when adults done well, they stunning, but by far and large, I like reading YA better. I like the explore, the exploration of who you're going to become. Um, YA is doing, uh, adults catching up, but <laughs> YA is doing much more, I think, interesting, diverse, cutting edge things than uh, any other category is at this point. Yeah, I mean... With YA, a lot of the stories is about uh, coming of age, about finding yourself. And a lot of people think that, you know, once you reach a certain age, you stop finding yourself, you stop growing. <laughs> and that's totally not true. Um, you think that you have everything figured out once you go to college. Sorry, kids. Like, that's, <laughs> like that, that's a lie that adults tell you uh, in high school so that you behave. Um but I heard that you found an agent through uh, DV Pit, which is uh, an online Twitter competition that happens every year. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that experience? Yeah. So I was part of the very first DV Pit. So we didn't actually know that there was going to be another one. Um, oh, that's so time. cool. Yeah. So um, I did that thing you're not supposed to do, which is like, kind of race to get a project uh, ready to pitch. So I wrote Scattered uh, in like seven weeks ahead of knowing that DV Pitt was coming. Um, and I just had a great critique partner who was willing to kind of swap pages as I wrote them to try to get this ready to go because we didn't we didn't know that there would be another one. And it seemed like such an amazing thing that Beth was doing um, to have this competition kind of by and for diverse voices um, with the, you know, these editors from these big houses participating. 
So yeah, I kind of raced right into it and, um, and lucked out and uh, wound up getting a few offers from it. I can imagine how hard it is to fit your pitch into one tweet. That sounds super stressful. <laughs> that was the old style too, before you had, we had the, uh, the longer style. Yeah. The, yeah. It was getting it into 140, which was interesting. Yeah. So your debut novel, The Jasmine Project is coming out on September 7th. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the story? Sure. So um, the Jasmine Project is about a girl who has kind of found herself trapped in the comfort zone where her life is good. It's good enough. She has a boyfriend that she feels kind of lucky to have who she's been dating for a long time. She has a really loving family that's very large Um, And it takes place in Orlando, where I lived for a little while. Um, However, she doesn't want to really be a nurse. She knows that things are off with this boyfriend. And she's kind of suppressing what she really wants to do with her life because she's too afraid um, to reach out for the things because she might lose what she has. And I feel like that's a thing that a lot of people, unfortunately, can relate to. Yeah. So um, what her family winds up doing is setting up this kind of the bachelor competition. The only thing is they don't. That is something that I can picture Asian families doing (laughs) uh, simply because, um, you know, we hear like we have Asian parents who are like constantly matchmaking and we have like nosy aunties. It's just it's just something that you go through as uh, an an Asian child, I guess. Um, but uh, I did have a question. You are an adoptee. You're a Korean American adoptee. Um, so my question is: Did you, I guess, like before? Um, I guess, like with the. Uh, surge of diverse stories. I'm I'm guessing that you didn't really see yourself represented in young adult literature growing up. Oh, never. No. <laughs> um, and I really like the fact that like uh, you made such a diverse family for uh, the Jasmine Project. Uh, can you like, did you come from a pretty big family, a, a diverse family? So... Um, yes. So my family, um, was Italian. Um, when I was young, unfortunately, I don't know why death is like the recurring theme in this conversation, but, um, unfortunately many of them were older, uh, when I was adopted. So my family is not as large as it was, um, back then, but, you know, for example, my cousin, he is Latinx, and then he married um, a girl who's from the Dominican Republic, and that's probably where I got Davy from. Um, my children are biracial. Um, I think I wanted to write a family that kind of reflects the world around me, and I love that literature is being pushed in that direction of showing more than just one kind of family, showing more than just one 
kind of heroine or main character. Yeah, I love the fact that you construct this family from two, I guess, um, stereotypically large families, large <laughs> like cultures with large families, large meddlesome families, and very like. <laughs> I don't know if we've all been to a Filipino or Italian party, but can you tell us how um, you constructed the um, the Yap family? Sure. Um, my, I guess the original thought was to have, um, because this was, this idea was quite collaborative between myself and my editor at the time, um, Jennifer Ong. And she wanted to have this um, big, Asian family and I said you know to make it as authentic as possible you know I'd like to bring in this Italian side in addition to having um representing an Asian family as well and then uh one of my good friends is Filipino and I wanted to bring in um some of that cultural influence as well yeah, I can definitely understand like the Italian part because my partner's uh, family comes from an Italian background. And when I met his family for the first time, I was like, who are all these people? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I would hug someone and I'm just like, uh, like, who is this? And like my partner would be like, oh, it's some like cousin's cousin who I haven't seen <laughs> since I was like 10 years old. But, you know, this is like their family. So uh, they come to dinner like every year. So I, I totally got the whole like large but tight-knit family. Uh, I thought it was very charming. Oh, thank you. And the competition that the family sets up for Jasmine is really, really interesting. I'm not a bachelor or bachelorette watcher, but I was very engaged with the competition, especially. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to ask, like, do you watch uh, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? I have seen them. I saw them when um, actually like years and years ago and I wound up getting swept up in it. Um, now I'm currently more uh, involved in Love is Blind on Netflix. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we, we watched like the whole like weird reunion party that was obviously going to be a mess. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, what's so hypnotic about those is that you love watching someone fall in love. Like it gets, and then the competition aspect kind of just draws you in. And I feel like that happened with Jasmine's family that, you know, they started out with these good intentions and then they kind of got wrapped up in her falling in love and this competition and who is going to win. Yeah. I especially love um, what you did with the family group chats. You you have these like vignettes in the middle of your chapters with the family kind of like commenting on the <laughs> competition as it goes along. It gave me very like Terrace House vibes, except with like much more at stake, I guess. <laughs> Funny how you mentioned Terrace House because I was thinking the exact same thing. Because if I if I look at my group chat when like Terrace House was still airing, it was exactly like the family group chat. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a good, uh, you know, from a craft perspective, it's a good way to bring in a lot of characters without it being an overwhelming glossary of names um, for them to have these individual personalities that show through the kind of messages that they would send without, you know, necessarily bringing in a whole 50 person family um, into the narrative itself. Plus, 
Jasmine doesn't know what's going on. So it was um, really fun to write this uh, kind of alternate um, perspective, this interstitial that has its own motivation and its own storyline, essentially. Yeah. And I also appreciate that you gave us the diverse state of bachelors we wish the real bachelor would have. I was about to say, because <laughs> like in, in the real bachelor, they're like mostly white. And it's like, what do you not consider? Like, especially with The Bachelorette, like, I, f- I remember, like, there was one season where there were, like, no Asian men. And it was just like, dude, Asian men are hot. Like, <laughs> where, like, like, where are they? And it was just so nice that you had uh, non-white uh, bachelors I- I- in your book, especially when there's only three of them. Or I, I guess technically four, because you have the right. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> And the Paul isn't white either. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I that was just more of reflecting the diverse world around you. And I wanted definitely, you know, my son being biracial, being Asian and white, um, I wanted to show that Asian men are hot and then uh, that they do make very good love interests. Um, so that was also important to me to to include that. I love uh, the concept of um, of Jasmine's sister, Kari, um, having this podcast that covers the progress of this little family competition. Uh, <laughs> not, not family competition, but like we're, just like the whole process. We're a very pro podcast on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that was like when I was reading it, I was just like, oh, this is like so weird because we're a podcast. And <laughs> I guess, uh, are you a podcast listener? Is that how you, it made it into the book? Um, I am. Oh, I, I'm kind of ashamed to. I'm not actually that much of a podcast <laughs> listener. I, We're not I offended. Just, uh, <laughs> I have uh, just issues absorbing things um, that I that I just hear. I'm more of a kinesthetic learner. Um, but I did grow up listening to NPR, and what I and people just love podcasts. There's something that's so relatable and entertaining about them. Um, and I wanted to include that medium into the story um, and also have this kind of flaw to her sister who's so perfect that she's sort of getting wrapped up in her own ambitions um, and doing something that, you know, as an adult, you can say, well, this is pretty obviously going to result in disaster. But at 19, <laughs> you go, I think this will all work out just fine. We'll just have this secret podcast and it'll be anonymous and it'll be all right. Um, and it definitely adds a kind of um, ticking clock to the story as well. I think it also adds a pretty good commentary because this book is mainly written from Jasmine's point of view. And Jasmine is kind of an unreliable narrator because she <laughs> is she is very insecure. And in the very beginning of the book, you're just so frustrated because you see how her boyfriend treats her and it's like you deserve better and and reading her inner dialogue was actually like pretty painful for me as as like a grown woman who's like you deserve better like this is toxic masculine behavior and it's just like this is not okay 
Uh, but when you're that age, though, I, I feel like you don't identify like problematic red flags in a relationship. I like we like we've all seen in high school, mm-hmm. like date that one person who's like, why are, why are you with this person? They're like, why? Um, yeah. So I like I just wanted to ask, like, because I I felt really frustrated reading her inner dialogue. Uh, Was it frustrating for you to write in Jasmine's perspective and just like writing all of these insecure thoughts? Um, So funny enough, regardless of what uh, this says about me, I initially didn't think Paul was that bad. So (laughs) (laughs) more on that later, but (laughs) yes, more, more on that. And like possibly with a therapist on the line. Um, So what I wanted to write was a relationship that's not good. It's not over, what I didn't think, but I didn't think it was overtly toxic um, because a lot of times um, you'll be in a relationship that's okay. And especially if it's long, if it's ongoing, if you've been with this person for years, you tend to overlook the things that in a new relationship, I think you would say, okay, that's not acceptable, but you have three years of history. He's been your only boyfriend. And so things have like kind of slid downhill for her at the start of the book. And she, you know, I think there's always a part of you that knows it, but she hasn't quite accepted it at that point. And um, I like, writing somebody who is not this princess assassin who can like burn down the world with a glance, who really needs to kind of discover more of her own self-worth and self-love. So (laughs) yeah, between not thinking Paul was all that bad uh, in the beginning and um, just wanting to show a character that needs to grow, um, I actually liked writing her because she has a good heart. Yeah, like I, I'm glad that you mentioned like the whole, uh, I guess like quote unquote strong female character who you know can wield a bow and arrow and you know <laughs> take on take on like a, a corrupted regime and you know <laughs> because I feel like strength comes in different forms and I just Mm -hmm. like the fact that Jasmine even though she is kind of a doormat in the beginning you you see that she really does have a big heart uh she is very charitable uh empathetic uh and forgiving especially like towards the end of the book I don't want to spoil anything but I was like if I was in her shoes, I would be so mad. Like I, would, <laughs> like, like, I would not be as forgiving, but, you know, that is a character strength. And, um, yeah, I'm just, like, really glad that you brought up that stereotype because, uh, yeah, like, in the beginning of literature, I feel like a lot of female characters were Mary Sue's. And then to subvert that trope, we came up with, like, girls with, uh, girls who are kind of, like, not quote-unquote likable so it was nice to have Mm -hmm. a traditionally like likable character but you know strong in in a different way 
Yeah. Also, it's just a very relatable. I don't know if everyone listening to this podcast had lower self esteem when they were younger, but you know, I think most people. <laughs> I, th- I feel like did. most people have. <laughs> and it's you know the thing with like reading or watching things said in high school now is like there is that sort of cringe, but it comes from a very personal like oh I remember that feeling sort of place mm-hmm. right. Yeah. I mean, we're adults, though. Like, the main target audience are, you know, <laughs> readers in are high school. Are you saying this book was not made for me? Because I, I, <laughs> there's podcasts in it. It was definitely made for me. Yeah, like, when I was reading the podcast parts, I was like, oh, dang. Like, Kari is getting, like, sponsors. She's getting, like, free <laughs> Like, I was just like, wow, she's managing her brand really well. I could take tips from her. Like... <laughs> Um, but I also really like the setting because Florida is not really a setting that I see that often, uh, especially when it comes to like Asian characters. Um, they're either in like like the the, the coast, like East Coast or, or, or West Coast, where there's like a high Asian population or just somewhere in the middle of nowhere where there's no Asian population. <laughs> <laughs> so and also like I'm from Georgia. So I was like, oh, yeah, like Florida is like you know, literally this, the, the only state like southward. And I, I felt like the environment was similar enough that I like, uh, could totally like vibe with it. Um, but you talked about how you lived in Orlando for a bit. So, uh, can you tell us more about, uh, why you decided to set it in, in Orlando? Like, instead of like, I don't know, like a more of like a metropolis. Mm -hmm. So, I went to college in um, Orlando, in Winter Park, which is exactly where the the book is. Oh, set. it's an actual and town. Okay, it is. It is. It's, a, it's an actual place, um, and it, it does have a significant amount of wealth, uh, which is also a kind of a recurring. Um, I wouldn't say insecurity, but it's something that she does not have that some of her friends and Paul does. Um, so Rollins um, probably was the first place that I felt like was mine. Like I had, you know, the really in uh, retrospect, not great, but in the time I thought it was great, you know, student housing. Um, and uh, and so I had my own, you know, studio apartment that, you know, I don't know, it's kind of like extended daycare, but it's, it was a lot of fun. And I really loved living there. Um, and there is, there's not a ton of diversity. Um, there are a lot of people. Um, it does feel very welcoming. Um, and so I wanted to kind of set it in the first place that to me felt like home outside of New York City where I grew up. I want to talk a little bit more about Jasmine. Um, something that I definitely noticed while reading is you wrote her as a an adoptee, but adoption isn't only mentioned maybe like once or twice in the entire story. And I thought that was really really cool because you know a lot of times when we read books involving adoptees it's about the adoption whereas this book is about her just mm-hmm. you know, her, her her own you know growing up troubles and i thought that was really refreshing because you know the family never mentions it no one ever brings it up she knows doesn't have to explain herself because i think you know as i think for this podcast as asian americans um and you know sometimes this podcast i produce other podcasts and a lot of times when we do stories that are focused on identity, we always have to, or we have this mentality that we have to explain things, right? We have to like 
go through our personal history for our stories to to matter or for people to be interested in. And I love that mm-hmm. your book just decides to just screw that. Let's just, you know, these are characters. <laughs> they've already accepted. The story isn't about her being adoptee. The story is about her, you know, her boy troubles. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was really important. Um, you know, not only did I never see really Asian mm-hmm. main characters at all in anything that I read growing up, when I do pick up, even as an adult now, um, when I do pick up something that has an adoptee, it's almost inevitably some search for a birth <laughs> parent. And, you know, it's a very valid topic. And I understand why people want to talk about it. It seems interesting, I suppose. Um, very often, they're not written by adoptees. Um they can be at least mildly offensive Um, (laughs) (laughs) as if, you know, I don't feel whole unless I find my, the woman who gave birth to me. And it's like, well, you know, we do other stuff. We fold laundry. Like we go out and go for a walk. Like there's, you know, there's a whole other facet. I mean, it's like everybody else's life in a way. The adoption will come up in, weird facets. So it'll come up in, you know, a little, you know, when you go to introduce yourself and you don't look like your family, and there's always like kind of a pause there and it'll come up in, uh, weirdly enough, medical histories. And you are different. You are different from the rest of your family. But um, the way I grew up was, and I, cause I'm my, my sister is um, the biological child of my parents she's my sister. Like we fight and have fun and everything else the same as other people who are biologically related. And so I really wanted to have a story that where it's just a given, like she, her family is her family. She has this adopted aspect to the story that it's going to, it's going to inform the things that she does, but it's not um, necessarily about that birth search yeah i would say um you never question as a reader whether or not like her family is uh her family like i feel like her family Mm -hmm. is just like so unshakable when it comes to like bond and uh like i was a little bit envious because i was just like i don't have that like (laughs) like (laughs) like, i i don't have that relationship with like my my cousins uh i mean mainly because we don't live in the same town, but it was just really nice to uh, just see how her family has her back, uh, no matter like how meddling they can be. Um, I do want to talk a bit about the guys, uh, Eugene, Aaron, and uh, Justin Michael. Uh, How did you, I guess, choose your bachelors and like, I guess, like, their um, approach to wooing Jasmine. So I wanted to have um, three bachelors with who bring out very different aspects in her, which means they were going to be very different types of people. Um, I love having... Um, a boy next door of somebody who she knew for a long time as a child who then, you know, you have this break and then all of a sudden they're back. Um, I loved 
what Aaron brought to the story with, you know, somebody who's pretty hot <laughs> and kind of like, you know, a minor celebrity. And I, you know, as a teenager, that would have completely wowed me. I, I mean, I know that we, we go a little deeper with YA, but at 16, 17, I would, you know, <laughs> super hot baseball player was into me. I don't know that I would have given it much more thought. Um, and then Eugene has, um, this life that she wants, that she's trying to deny that she wants. Um, and so he's, you know, he's the one who's going to like kind of pull her out of her comfort zone. Meanwhile, she's going to go kind of almost further in to the comfort zone with uh, Justin Michael. And then Aaron is just going to take her somewhere else and with, and with her insecurities, you know, this minor celebrity, um, thing is very persuasive. Yeah. Like I, I have to say like, I was rooting for Justin Michael for, (laughs) for like a hot second because I just love the trope of, you know, like childhood friend who comes back and (laughs) there's like rekindling. But as soon as Eugene came into a picture, I was just like, no team Eugene, like 100%, (laughs) like 100%. Um, yeah, it was just like, I, I really like the fact that all three uh, bachelors were just so different and uh, they brought out different sides to um, of Jasmine, like you mentioned, like bringing her out of her comfort zone, having her uh, feel a little bit more uh, confident about her worth and um, just, you know, like just having... Um, I guess, like, reassurance that there are other options out there. So I, like, Eugene, he's the son of a very uh, famous chef. And you you said that he kind of has the life that um, Jasmine wishes that she had. And I just love the food aspect of this book. Uh, I was very hungry reading (laughs) it. And uh, the second I found out that her family was uh, Filipino and Italian, I was like, it's gonna be some real good food there. (laughs) (laughs) So are are you like a big foodie? Yeah, I I pretty much am. Um, I sadly found out that I have like a gluten issue, which is Oh my depressing. god! No. <laughs> right? Yeah. There's nothing quite like having grown up Italian and then realizing as an adult that you have a gluten issue because there goes most of the stuff that you used to eat. But the <laughs> substitutes have become very good. <laughs> they they really have come a long way with the um, like rice pasta and things like that. Uh, but bread is just not something that can be imitated without gluten so that's quite sad um yeah so I would say I started cooking young um I remember making meatballs with my grandmother um and then I was around 12 I want to say when my mother who does not like cooking uh quit and so we ordered out for like a year uh, until somebody got it together, which was me, uh, to start, you know, making dinner again. Cause she wound up in this job that was, she was working, I don't know, like probably 60 hours a week in 
she'd get home and she'd have three jokers who were just sitting there since after school and, you know, was not in the mood to, uh, to whip something up. So, um, so I started cooking young and then, um, in between college, uh, like right after college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, which is, a uh, uh, interesting kind of quarter life crisis. Um, and I wound up uh, waiting tables and bartending at um, a couple of fine dining restaurants before I went to law school, um, which definitely upped the foodie factor uh, in my life. Because when you wind up working in the service industry, you wind up eating at um, your friends' places and your place. And you have these chefs who are explaining, you know, how the food pairs with the wine and and all these like really kind of interesting tips and facts that kind of found their way into the Jasmine project and informed um, a lot of what she wants to do. I also appreciated that there was a lot of boba in this book. Like, <laughs> they go to so many tea shops. Um, do you have a go to boba order? Um, I love almond tea. Mm. Good choice. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, I'm an almond tea girl. <laughs> so as we wrap up our discussion, and Meredith, thank you so much once again for speaking with us. You know, what do you hope that your readers will get from reading your story? So, I mean, I really wanted it to read like a warm hug. And the very first draft that I gave my editor, she basically said that it read like a warm hug. I wanted something that was... um comforting and fun and, you know, kind of um, reassuring for who are in that phase of their lives where they are moving from something comfortable to something that's not so comfortable and not so safe um, to reach out for what they really want. Um, And I hope that, you know, especially younger adoptees, younger Asian readers will get some confidence out of reading the story. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I joked earlier saying that, um, you know, you think that you're you're done becoming when you're young, but it's just a process that you go through life even as an adult. And as an adult reader uh, reading this, I definitely related a lot to uh, to Jasmine and her fear of make uh, of taking risks and pursuing what she wants to do, but um, also feeling uh, really scared and be, uh, and feeling held back. So I think you did a really great job um, of of relaying that message. I know that you have another book coming out next year. Can you uh, share some details about it? Uh, absolutely. Um, so this one, I'm. Enemies to lovers is like catnip for me. I I don't know. This is probably one of those other therapy things that we should talk about. But um, you're not alone. <laughs> A lot of my friends who love romance and YA romance love that trope. My co-host is not accepted from that list. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be done well. That's the thing. So these two are. When I went to uh, high school, I went to a strange. Um, it could not be more pretentious, but they call it elite nine in New York city. Um, they're 
kind of magnet schools. I guess that's what around the country they would be called, but it's more than that. Um, Because at this juncture, I think all of them, except for LaGuardia, you have to test into. Um, So when I went, you didn't have to test into them. You had to have a 93 average in uh, seventh grade um, from your citywides and then your four main courses. And if you did, you would be offered admission to my high school. So I went to an incredibly competitive public school. So what I wrote for Everyone Hates Kelsey Miller is Kelsey um, and Eric go to this hyper competitive, actually it's private, but it's free um, school and they are rivals for valedictorian And they wind up agreeing to help each other win back their exes on a road trip to the University of Pennsylvania. So um, Kelsey has had a falling out with her best friend and her other friend, and she doesn't really know why. And he has been ghosted by his summer girlfriend, and they kind of make this pact and agree to you know, pull out all the stops and go 24 hours, UPenn, where her friend is visiting and his ex goes to school. And they are on this like kind of foolish mission to win them back with really not much else to go on. <laughs> that sounds I think amazing. bad exes is definitely your, your wheelhouse. <laughs> I also love so recently there's been a lot of like documentaries about competitive public high schools and wasn't I there just, one that's like super Asian yeah there's one about Lowell High School which is like probably similar to the equivalent of what the New York High School you went to is in San Francisco and it's just I don't know as an adult on the other side I just want to tell all these kids it's okay you know none of this really matters <laughs> will we'll, we'll matter in a few years yeah, I just want to no. tell these kids, you don't have to figure it all out when, <laughs> you know, when you're like 18. I mean, you're probably going to change your major anyway. And when you graduate, right. you're probably not even going to use your major. Like, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much, Meredith, for uh, speaking with us today. It was it was a lot of fun. And um, I, I just hope that more people pick up your book uh, in September. Yeah. Thank Are you, you so all much. Yeah, are you all set for your... Are you doing a virtual or physical book tour? I know, like, Delta is gearing oh up. So I don't know if those things are still happening. Yeah. Yeah, everything has been shifting. Um, there were supposed to be four events in person. And now I think one is. But, um, yeah, so we're, we're just kind of have to roll with it. Um, but I do... I will be able to... Um, The pre-order giveaway and everything is from my local bookstore here in Saratoga. Um, So I'll be able to go in and sign stock and that'll be a very Instagrammable (laughs) moment. But it'll it'll be really nice to actually physically be able to do that and my kids will be able to see and that'll be really nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the Books and Boba podcast. Um, we love talking to you. And yeah, hopefully we can chat again when your when your next book comes out. Absolutely. That would be <laughs> wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Meredith. And that was our interview with Meredith Ireland. Her debut novel, The Jasmine Project, releases on September 7th, 2021. So you still have some time to go um, pre-order the book. 
And um, as you may have heard, Rira and I are both big fans. Um, it was a really fun read. You know, it got me interested in Bachelor-related media. So, you know, I guess that's a win for... I think I think you and I are... Um, like, we, t- we mentioned, like, Terrace House earlier. Like, <laughs> we're not, like, super into reality shows and dating, but, like, once we get hooked, we're very invested. Yeah, I think it helps that the characters are so well-developed and they're a lot of fun. You know, I tried watching F-Boy Island on HBO Max and I just could not get So, you know, I, I, it, hot messes aren't for me, but cringe, high school, rom-com, you know, I, I kind of dig. All right, so yeah, check out The Jasmine Project in bookstores everywhere soon. Um, but with that, let's um, let's remind everyone what book we're reading this month for the Books and Little Book Club. Uh, Rira, what is our August 2021 book book? We are reading Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribe. It is a YA contemporary novel about a Filipino-American teen who goes back to the Philippines to learn the truth about his cousin's murder during uh, President Duarte's war on drugs. Uh, we'll be discussing that book at the end of the month, so stay tuned for that. But on that note, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 